Hi. Wow, first podcast. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Christopher Butcher, and uh, you have reached Manga Splaining, where we talk about manga and about recommending manga to people who maybe don't know that much or maybe feel like they don't know that much uh, when it comes to manga. So, on that note, I wanted to take a second and introduce all of the wonderful people here on the Manga Splaining podcast. And since uh, I am on the left of my screen, we're going to go right for the people who are on my screen. And first up is Deb Aoki. Deb? Hi, I'm Deb Aoki. Um, I write about, I read a lot of manga and I write about manga for Publishers Weekly, um, a couple other online sites. Uh, I, I talk about manga a lot on Twitter. I guess that's kind of my qualifications. <laughs> Next up is the fabulous Chip Zdarsky. Uh, Chip is a, you write for, the, for a non-manga publisher, I hear. I, I do, a, a little place called a Marvel Comics. <laughs> uh, I've written a, a bunch of titles for them. Um, some some, uh, some Spider-Man, some Howard the Duck. Uh, currently I'm writing Daredevil for them wow. and uh, doing a couple other things for uh, their competition, DC. Uh, they let the, you do that? Well, just don't tell Marvel. <laughs> That's the one thing I ask of everyone on this. Don't tell Marvel what's happening. Uh, those, those are my qualifications. <laughs> And next up on my screen is the inimitable David Brothers. David, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I am a reformed comics critic, a former comics marketer, and current manga editor. So I'm failing in some direction. I'm not sure which, which yet. But it's, uh, it's a nice life. Uh it, it is. <laughs> it is. Uh, and as I said, I'm Christopher Butcher. I have been writing about and reading comics for a long time uh, and have worked in and around comics in lots of different ways uh, over the years. Um, now we're, we're all getting together to run this podcast, which is really exciting. Um, and, you know, we wanted to, we were thinking, I think we've been talking about uh, Deb and and David, not so much, not so much Chip. Uh, David and I had been talking with, you know, about for a long a long time about like, you know, manga is great. There's this amazing deep world of books, but um, it tends to look a little sheltered from the outside. It tends to look like it's like a hegemon, like you know, hegemony maybe. Uh, like it's just like this one walled, you know, garden that only the initiated can get into. And uh, we'd been brainstorming ways. For a couple of years, it's like, oh well, how do we make this appeal to a wider audience? Um, not, you know, necessarily just superhero fans, because that's the sort of dominant paradigm on the other side of, you know, the comic book industry, but also like everybody. Um, and what if we could start this with an everyman, like someone who literally knows nothing about manga? Uh, and what if we secretly invited him to be a part of a podcast that he didn't know? was going to be about getting him to learn about manga. And that's why... So who's that going to be? <laughs> that's why we've invited Chips Darsky, and he's going to be the canary in the proverbial... What? Ma manga coal mines. <laughs> you son of a... That can't be true, Chip, right? I mean, you write comics. How could you? How can you avoid manga? It's like the 80-pound girl in the room in the comics. <laughs> okay, well, I, okay. Listen... Explain yourself. <laughs> I, was, I was a sheltered lad in a small Canadian town, and uh, I'm probably, I don't know, I'm probably uh, a lot older than all of you. I don't know, I'd imagine. And, uh, and I don't think, the, the manga boom didn't happen when I started, like, actively reading comics. Mm. So I was still picking up, you know, the Marvel books, and in my teen years, it was the Vertigo books. Um, so it really just kind of passed me by, and... I would I would eventually have a bunch of friends who were into manga, mm. and uh, they they would try and get me to sample some things, and maybe I read like half an issue here or there, but um, but nothing that really uh, really grabbed me, because mm. um, and it did it did, it seemed pretty intimidating to get into kind of the whole world of it, um, though I am an expert in American comics. <laughs> Of course. So I feel I bring that to the table. I don't know what the rest of you bring to the table, uh, what makes all of you uh, uh, able to judge me and my lack of knowledge. <laughs> so please fill me in on why you should be my teachers. <laughs> uh, well, for me, the manga boom happened when I was in high school. So okay. as I was actually as I was graduating high school, um, 
so I basically, you know, I was overseas for a little bit and came back to the States and manga was suddenly cool in like 2002-ish. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, so I would spend entire book checks at, or entire uh, paychecks at Books A Million, just like going mm-hmm. through all their manga and reading a bunch of, in hindsight, not great stuff. <laughs> um, like what? I'm curious. <laughs> pretty, I mean, honestly, everything. Like, I, I was a very voracious reader, so if it was out and it was, like, printed backwards, I was picking it up. Mm. You're the, you're the, you're the, yeah, I'm, the, I the really ideal customer. Yeah, I support the industry. <laughs> yeah. But um, as a kid, I knew about, like, anime, like, mm. uh, Ninja Scroll, Fist of the North Star, Akira, I knew about those, but I didn't know that Japanese comics were a thing. Okay. But I had a couple issues of the, of Marvel's Akira manga, I had a couple issues of Super Manga Blast, but they were all, like, they felt like American comics. Yeah. It's like they were in color and printed, you know, uh, left to right. Mm. But ever since as an adult, like they've only gotten better and better as like my taste and like selection has improved. So and I think on account of reading a million manga, too. like that's my qualification. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Deb? What makes you about dot manga? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, like I, like I wrote the about dot com manga site for a while before it faded away but um, I've been reading manga all my life uh, I got introduced to manga when I was in third grade mm. um, actually earlier than that when I went made my first trip to Japan uh, my aunt uh, gave me uh, Nakayoshi which is like a shoujo manga girls magazine mm. and I can't read much Japanese but you know reading the manga like you can still understand what's going on in the story and shoujo manga is like crack for a little girl you know it's like full of melodrama and emotions and fantasy and stuff so and it you know it's really big and thick and it comes with toys and stuff so you really get into it so i le- started to learn how to read japanese because i wanted to understand the stories i love the, the visuals and um i grew up in hawaii and hawaii has um uh, a lot of Japanese Americans, so we had Japanese movie theaters with subtitled movies, and we had two Jap we had two Japanese radio stations and a Japanese TV station, so we could watch anime all the time. Um, so it's like the '60s and '70s, you know. So um, I, I, I grew up with my my schoolmates would went to Kamen Rider and Kikaida, mm-hmm. and I grew up watching uh, Princess Knight. I just really loved manga, and then I, I think the first time I started to see manga in English, other than Barefoot Gen, um, was like in the 80s, and I bought everything. Because you could buy everything, because there wasn't that much. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, you know, Lum, and like, run on one half, and whatever, and then m- over time, more and more came out, like uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, and then Akira, like we mentioned, Akira is in was in color and it was flipped and it was you know I, I had watched the anime and so you know it's just kind of been I guess several years of my life has been into manga I can't help it I gotta I gotta put my interview hat on a, for a second were you aware yeah. of manga as being a separate thing uh, from like American comics or anime as being a separate thing from American cartoons when you were watching them like could you tell that they were Japanese or was it just like this cartoon is interesting and this cartoon isn't and I haven't figured that out at first, no. Um, like, for example, Speed Racer was a, probably the first anime I watched, and I didn't know it was Japanese because mm. it was in English, you know. And, you know, the other stuff that I read, it was obviously in Japanese because that's the language it was in and had subtitles. Mm. But, you know, I'm so, like, being Japanese in, Japanese American in Hawaii is a little bit like being surrounded by the ocean <laughs> and you're a fish, you know, it's like, oh, it just is, <laughs> you know? And I read both types. I read Richie Rich. I read Teen Titans. I was a big Legion of Superhero fan. I was kind of an omnivore. So I, 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 I know enough about what's going on in American comics to understand some of the jokes. Like, oh, is this how many times is Jean, Jean Grey re- resurrected again? You know, like I know all these jokes. I mean, and I read... I read Daredevil and like I read Lone Wolf the Cub, so I could kind of see like ah, very similar. Mm-hmm. But you know, knowing it's Japanese, I, I, it didn't occur to me till later <laughs> as something special. Uh, that's because uh, by way of introduction to my expertise, 
Uh, it was the same thing. Um, we we watched a lot of cartoons. Um, I could only watch educational TV, basically Canadian PBS, not even PBS, TV Ontario. Uh, that's oh, that's wow. for Chip. Uh, and so TVO. Um, and so I could only watch stuff on there because my parents were terrified of gun violence. G.I. Joe really spooked them, I guess. Or at least my mom, my dad. Did not care. Uh, so I found out later that a lot of shows that I liked, um, the big one was Fables of the Green Forest, which was a Japanese-French co-production that I've actually seen oh. anime cells for uh, when we've been to Japan, um, was wow. a Japanese production. And then obviously the stuff like Transformers, which was sort of a cross-production mm-hmm. situation, was was hugely influential. But then also Voltron and Robotech and, you know, all the stuff. Mm-hmm. I missed the, the, the 70s after school stuff that a lot of my older friends saw the like star blazers mm. and uh, uh mazinger <laughs> i don't remember what they called that uh, oh yeah mazinga i love that shit yeah those, those are the ones that i saw gigantor oh but that's anime yeah. that's the other that's the other problem with yeah. anime and there was never there weren't a lot of comics i think marvel did like one shogun warriors uh series Ooh. and that was kind of <laughs> it but uh yeah from there it was um when I was in middle school, I was way too young. A friend of mine slipped me a VHS. He's like, you got to see this. And normally that would be porn, especially today it would be porn, but it would just be Link. Uh, but instead it was Akira, um, the, like, the, the North American, like fifth generation, sixth generation copy of a copy of a copy of a copy on, on VHS. And yeah, of course it blew my mind. Like, of course it blew my mind. I was like 13 or 12 or something. Uh, and then of course you show it to your friends, uh, and it blows their minds. Um, but it blew their minds in a way that was like, we need to get more where I was just like, this is like mm-hmm. some sort of beautiful, delightful artifact, right? They're like, no, we need more. So they, <laughs> they use their sister's, uh, login to the university of Toronto. Um, this is in like <laughs> the, I'm going to say late eighties, early nineties, university of Toronto, they use their login to pretend uh, to the library to pretend to be university students to access the proto internet, the like Usenet <laughs> forums and stuff like that. Oh. And they're like 12. Uh, and they're like, yes, I am an adult and I would like to. So they engaged in like really early fan subs and tape trading and things like mm. that. So I think by the time they moved out to go to university, they had, I'm going to say 300 VHS tapes on LP, like Jeez. on eight hour full of just like random episodes of stuff. Some of it had been fan subbed. Some of it was raw. Uh, and then comics just became a part of that where it's like, Oh, I saw that anime and I didn't know there was a Maison Okoku comic. And when I talk, we're talking mm-hmm. anime. Like we saw everything. Like it was just, we were watching it because it was anime, not because we cared about any individual <laughs> story past that. Uh, sort of like the, I'm going to read everything at the library or everything in the bookstore kind of format. Like Dave, you were talking about, <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. Yeah, we just watched everything. Uh, and when there were comics, I was like, oh, this is really weird as hell. I remember reading an early issue of Manga Vision that had uh, Legend mm. of Kamui in it. Uh, a lot of La Rumiko Takahashi because she was a really popular translation. Uh, mm. And then I found out there were book collections of it, which was also kind of mind-blowing because North American comics barely had trade paperbacks or graphic novels at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that became the primary format for a lot of that stuff. And then from there, it was just... Mm, my manga interest continued because it was like, oh, this is the industry that I kind of want. Like, I want an industry that's not 99% superheroes. And this is like, there's superheroes for sure. There's Japanese superheroes all over the place. But there's also like comedy and there's romance and there's all kinds of stuff. So that's when I started writing about comics, about the industry uh, in general in like the late 90s. Uh, And when I started really thinking about what I wanted comics, the comics industry to be. And manga was a huge part of that. So it's one of the reasons I have recommended manga and talked about manga so much is because I think that, you know, the more you see, the more you realize not everyone has everything perfect, but definitely in the manga <laughs> industry, there's all kinds of stories, you know, there's all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. that you can, you can, you can, there's, there's a manga for everybody. And um, it's, it's one of those things where, well, I've trapped chip on a podcast and we're going to find the manga for him is what it comes down to first of all uh, are you inferring that there's not a marvel comic for everybody <laughs> don't tell <laughs> me but no there's not there's really not all right that's fair <laughs> uh so yeah so i so, so there you go so i guess back to you chip why why do you think you haven't found the manga that's right for you yet have you read anything i, I i've read bits and pieces um 
so in high, in high school, my best friend was huge into manga and anime. Uh, you couldn't get a lot of it in our town. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was it? I think it was Viz actually that was the only company really kind of putting it out. Was that? Yeah, that that area. Yes, yeah, really one of the yeah. first. Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, Rumiko Takahashi. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I read a, a bit of Ranma and a bit of Maison Ikoku, mm. and I and I liked them, but um, but it's just not what I spent my money on. Yeah. Like, my friend would show me some of it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that's really fun. And then I would go buy another copy of Spider-Man. Or at that point, I was kind of moving into, like, you know, uh, the, the Vertigo stuff and some Fantagraphics. Mm. Um, so it, it felt like a step backwards for me mm. in a weird way to read, like, the kind of the, the bubbly cartooniness of... <laughs> the the manga that my friend was showing me mm. so uh, you know i was like i was fine with him having it and i would look at it once in a while but um i just never got into it and so it was the kind of thing where you know uh, years and years later after college when i started to get back into comics and, and uh, joined a studio um like kagan mcleod was in the studio and he had all of lone wolf and cub mm. and it, it also just seemed daunting like just the uh, the amount <laughs> mm. um yeah. Like no one ever, no one ever presents. Oh yeah, here's uh, all the issues of Frank Miller's Daredevil. I'm like, yeah. oh, how am I going to get into this? But yeah, with yeah. Uh, with something like Lone Wolf and Cub, it's just like this this massive brick, you know, that was on the shelf, and I would just like flip through, or he'd show me like a fight scene. I'm like, oh, that's really cool, but it, it never clicked to me that this was also something I could read. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, it, it has a different visual literacy, I think, too. That can be a little uncomfortable. Yeah, like I, I, I love the look of it, mm. um, and and I always enjoyed the stuff that I, I did flip through and read, but uh, but it also just felt like it had passed me by. Like I was too old for it, too. Like that's mm-hmm. the other thing. Just like because mm. I also didn't, I wasn't really reading a lot of like the, the superhero stuff, the stuff that I write, like um, at the time as well. Like, I would read just kind of one-off graphic novels. Like, it was like, oh, I'm at the age now where I just read a story. Mm-hmm. And, like, I can't, anything that's serialized, anything that's, like, 20 volumes, like, it's just not for me. Because, like, uh, I'm an adult now, and I just read, like, grown-up books. Yeah, literally. if they are <laughs> comics. Um, and, yeah, you know, it, I think it definitely hampered me. Like, uh, I think if I had a greater range of influences, my storytelling could be better. So this this is a little selfish on my part, uh, joining this group. Because um, I, I do want to get into the world, and I need the recommendations, and I need people to kind of talk me through it, so I can actually become better at my job. Because <laughs> also, from the sound of things, everyone here is well-rounded. Like you talk, mm. you all talk about like, you know, you read the Marvel stuff, you read Richie Rich, like, and then also all the manga. So um, everyone here is more well-versed in comics than I am. Um, so it's time to take me to school, I guess. <laughs> a weird thing about that is that kind of manga was my vertigo. Like I didn't know about Sandman or Hellblazer when okay. I was a kid. So these were like my alternative comics in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and as I grew, like, obviously I got into, you know, uh, the Karen Berger era and once after that, but it sort of like had that, this is what I grew up into feeling for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it depends on when the stuff came out and how old you were when it came out mm-hmm. as well. Like I said, like, when I was I was getting into the Vertigo stuff right when it was coming out, and I was like 17, 18, and I had the trench coat. That's the perfect had, time had, for that. I had the Ankh necklace, and I'm just like, okay, this is my thing. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to order Guinness as soon as I know how to order Guinness to be like John Constantine. <laughs> and at that time, like my friend's handing me a Ranma. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, there's yeah. no cool trench coats in here. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like switching between country western and like like – like, like trance music it's like mm. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and they're all i mean they're, they're both can be equally good forms of music but mm. just there's a dissonance there mm-hmm. uh, which which you know i think eased up a bit as i kind of went through art school and mm. like you study more art and illustration and various influences in class but um but it wasn't enough to get me to actually kind of to, to follow my friends down the the rabbit hole into the manga world yeah. anime like college you know, we like to have a few drinks and watch Sailor Moon. Like, we were addicted to Sailor Moon. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like, that was kind of like the, the college days. Like, this, this whether it was, like, ironically enjoying it or, or, or what, like, uh, we would still enjoy it. Um, but I didn't, I didn't 
besides like some childhood anime stuff that I didn't really recognize as anime, mm. like the the Force Five stuff, which is mm. the Canadian repackaging of some of the Japanese. Uh, uh, What's that? Is that the Go Ranger? It's a uh, what, what, what Chris was mentioning earlier. Which Star Blazer, Battle of the Planets. No, oh, no, no. The other one. What's this is why we what have were you talking about before five different anime television series. Let's yes, see what it, it what it included. It's all Toei sh- Toei shows. Mm-hmm. It is uh, Guy King, Dengar Ace, Star Avengers, Grandizer, and Space Gatier. Grandizer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was it. That was that was my that was my total uh, anime. Because I also I didn't even have Transformers or GI Joe. Those weren't shows that I watched. Mm-hmm. So so those and Battle of the Planets. That, that that was my entire anime childhood. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even understand that they were not produced in Canada. Yeah. Like I just didn't have a concept of anything being produced elsewhere. Yeah, the same thing. Kind of the same for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sailor Moon and Savage Dragon used to come on the same programming block when I was a kid. <laughs> and What's in 2020, uh, Savage Dragon, like the adaptation of the Image comic. Oh, really? Uh, wow. I think it was the USA Network. They had that in, like, Denver, The Last Dinosaur. Um, I didn't know that. <laughs> and it's such a strange pairing in 2020. Yeah. But it kind of shows how undifferentiated a lot of this stuff was at the time. Like, yeah. it wasn't anime yet, even though, like, it obviously was. But it wasn't being marketed that way yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's just a cool cartoon. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like, oh, this cartoon looks better than the other cartoon. Yeah. I mean, there was a period of time when, like, there was nothing. A lot of the American cartoons were very kid Centric. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and anime was that that rare example of like you know animated co- content that could appeal to someone over say the age of fifteen. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a little more mature. It was more action packed. It was more I don't know sexy. <laughs> yeah, better definitely. better drawn. Yeah, so like, much yeah. better drawn. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the, there's true. That's I true. really feel like uh, Batman the animated series was like the first. American production, which was actually mm. mostly animated in Korea and Japan, I think. Yeah, where I was really? like, "Oh, this looks great." Mm. Yeah, that was versus it being like my X Men delivery system. The cartoon I actually kept watching when I went into teenagehood and adulthood was Batman uh, animated series. Even Batman Beyond, which was really gorgeous, uh, I couldn't get mm. into, uh, but it was just like the right combination of like nostalgia for the character from growing up and like this massive loving the movies when they came out and loving superhero comics in general, and also. Like mm. really smart, mature stuff, and there and the, the TV stuff I saw uh, has uh, filler. The filler problem, the anime filler problem, where it's like, all right, mm. spend the next fifteen episodes for Goku powering up, and it's uh, when anything happened, I would be really into watching Dragon Ball. When anything happened, I'd be really into watching watching Sailor Moon. But it was mm. a little bit. It was it was for kids. Like it was absolutely mm. for kids. And the I think the fact that it resonated. Well, we could talk more about that for you know over the next. Mm several episodes of podcasts uh <laughs> it's just the idea that like oh there's finally something that like their kids entertainment is just made more uh complex i think in a lot of ways uh or was certainly i think there's a lot of good kid stuff out these days or a lot better uh teen titans go so good um <laughs> that's true it's so clever uh i think you might i think chip you might be the only one who isn't on the teen titans go train I, I watched a bit of it when I was at um, uh, Fraction and Kelly Sue's house because mm-hmm. um, their kids watch it, and so they would just have it on the the screen while you know breakfast was being served. and <laughs> And Matt was like, "This is actually an amazing show," and like the jokes were great. They're so right? <laughs> They're sharp. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not generally an animation fan, which is, is weird for when people find that out. Like, I don't watch animated movies really because mm-hmm. um, I find the especially. Action and comedy, I don't think works for me in that format mm. because the comedy mm. is very telegraphed, and there's no, there's not a lot of natural rhythm to comedy in animation. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very specific type of animated comedy timing that kind of drives mm. me nuts. And action, I'm just like, well, it's drawn. I don't care, which is a weird <laughs> thing for guys who makes comics to say. But I, I can't watch CGI movies either because I. There's there's no visceral reaction in me when things happen. Mm-hmm. Really? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm dead inside. I don't know what it is, but is that like not being able to recognize faces or something? That sounds like some kind of disorder. <laughs> oh, great! Thank you, thank you, Dad. No, no, I don't get it. But it's kind of like how with Pixar movies, like I have to watch those with my younger cousins because otherwise, I'm yeah. like it's just my adult brain like yeah. picking apart uh, the plot. Uh, yeah, you're, you're kind of picking it apart. 
Like yeah. as, as soon as you get into storytelling as a mm. career, mm. Uh, or, or or become a, a professional critic, like mm-hmm. it's hard to just enjoy certain types of media because you are always like kind of reverse engineering uh, it as you go. And I find with mm-hmm. animation it's more so I, I get lost more in um, kind of real life uh, productions than I do animated ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just remember, I remember this is, you know, I'm di- diverging here, but um, years ago I went to the theater, like a second run theater to watch, I think it was Indiana Jones and the last crusade. Ooh. And I'm watching it, and like there's the scene like with the tanks, and he's holding onto the tank, and the tank's hitting the the rocks, and the rocks are shattering and stuff. And like it was the first time in a long time that I had an actual reaction in the movies watching something, because at that point everything was so CG. Mm-hmm. Like you just sit there, and you're just like things are bouncing and exploding, but none of it even feels real. But mm-hmm. to watch an older movie where they had real stunts, you're just like, oh okay, there's a natural feeling here. Real rocks. <laughs> mm-hmm. See, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. That you so, can that you can feel the difference. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. For sure. And like, so, um, uh, so I never also never got into anime. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get into manga. I didn't get into mm-hmm. anime. <laughs> Fortunately, there's a lot of live action anime that we can inflict on you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? Because like, even in in drawing, like one of the things I think about with Vagabond, like by Takahiko Inoue, mm. is that when he shows the battle scenes and when he shows like like people getting cut like like sword fights you can feel that you can feel in the way that he draws that you can feel like the knife going through flesh like mm-hmm. it has a weight to it mm-hmm. it has a it, it has a definite tension to it that you don't get in like the like you know like in bleach where like there's these giant blades and whoosh, or like in one piece where like you know like uh, Zoro just cuts through an iron wall and it's, woof, 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 it's like you know and there's no sense of weight or or uh, physics to it. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. just kind of have to. You just kind of have to go. Okay, well, I'm gonna, you know, just go with this. But with you know, stuff, you can feel the the fear of the fact that you, know, you could be cut and mm-hmm. hurt, and it's there's this tension, and that's hard to express. Well, it's it's it's, it's interesting. I don't think we've actually mentioned it for the uh, for the listener yet, but um, mm. we we all travel to. Japan together, and so so a lot of this kind of came out of like us going to these places, these kind of shrines to manga that I just didn't know or, or understand. Um, but there was the one the the uh, the art show for the boxing manga. What was it called again? Uh, Hachimeno no Ippo. Uh, Hachimeno Ippo. Oh, good job. Yeah, Hachimeno Ippo. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, um, and I was fascinated by those originals. Like, I don't think I've ever actually been moved by original comic art as much as I was looking at those. Like, um, you know, obviously very cartoony, but like the, the feeling mm-hmm. that is recreated in, in the brushwork and like the, the gestural uh, figures, like uh, you, you, you felt the punches, even though they were quite exaggerated. Mm-hmm. Um, again, much more so than I would if it was animated. I think it's one of the things uh, manga does really well, um, that anime tries to do but even when you do like a still frame or hold on something in anime I, I don't always feel that it has the same feeling like the same impact that the manga does because so much of manga happens in your head uh, when you're reading a manga like even if you don't like act out the sound effects or hear the sound effects or the voices or whatever you there's like a visceral like there's a translation thing that happens to like between the page and the uh, and, and and you as the viewer as the reader, uh, that I think is really interesting. That I don't think enough work has been done to to research how how that works, how it works for comics, or at least if it has, yeah. maybe it hasn't been translated into into art. I mean, yeah, see that right? Like, like there's something like I'll read both. I mean, I'll I'll read Attack on Titan and I'll watch the anime, mm-hmm. and the, and Attack on Titan is admittedly horribly drawn <laughs> but when it's animated it's super dynamic yeah, yeah. or uh, like sometimes i i watch one piece and i i quote i couldn't i uh, read i've been reading one piece as my pandemic read because mm. it's like a thousand episodes yeah they just hit number one thousand so, so oh. and i started in summer and it's like january and i'm still only at episode 700 right <laughs> So, but I watch it because, like, sometimes the anim- the, the way he draws is very compact, mm. and then when you w- watch the anime, the a- the action is a little bit more. I can understand what's going on action wise because mm. it's a little bit more spread out. 
So you can do both together and see how they're both different yet complementary. Mm-hmm. Like I feel the same with Haikyuu. Like Haikyuu, like the drawing is okay. The anime really drives home the action. I actually yeah, like I mean, the drawing I'd... better on that one uh, because it's rougher. Yeah? Uh, mm. It's so much rougher and more gestural and loose. And the anime, I feel like, concretizes uh, uh. the look and the movement and things like that more. Mm-hmm, uh, so mm-hmm. I haven't enjoyed the anime that I've watched, but I've read, I think, the first seven or eight of uh, the manga and really enjoyed it. It's yeah. the other problem. Literally everything is available now. <laughs> Almost everything is available now. <laughs> and it's like... I should go back to Haikyuu or I could read the other like literal infinity things I have access to right now. Uh, it's, it's too much uh, for, <laughs> yeah. for being a manga fan. But that brings uh, us to the first manga that maybe we should recommend to Chip. Uh, and I got to admit, I'm biased because for me, the big revelatory, um, the big revelatory like, oh, Japan is awesome, you know, thing uh, or anime uh, anyway, uh, manga anime was Akira, uh, as I mentioned. Um, And I did actually get to see the Akira comics a little bit later. And uh, they were very different from the, this is the Marvel edition that was in color, very different than the anime and like very different from the anime in some ways and very similar in another. And I think it's, uh, I think I didn't immediately gel with the comics as much because the anime was so like formative and foundational for like my understanding of like this kind of media. even though now I think it's like one of the closest adaptations that you could do of the three volumes or whatever that, that were available at the time. But I think yeah. it's like what Deb's saying. It is, it lies on the page differently uh, than it does, than it exists in the animation. Uh, Otomo, uh, Katsuhiro Otomo is the author of Akira. And I want to do a, a good job on this podcast of like making sure to put artists and authors at the forefront of what we're talking about. So Katsuhiro Otomo. Are you saying artists aren't authors? Yeah, artists, authors, <laughs> All of the above. Man, when I was doing TCAF, that was a tough one. I just, I settled on creators because that way I couldn't possibly offend anybody. Uh, yeah, but it's now true. it's <laughs> content makers, I think is what the kids, uh, kids understand. But yeah. It, uh, Mar- okay. uh, Marvel, it's Imagineers. <laughs> oh, Imagineers. Imagineers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like. Good to know. The way he, I don't know. I think, I think I want to talk about, I think I want Akira to be the first one that we recommend. That's my pick. Hmm. Because... Uh, Everyone's seen the anime, and the compositions and the drawings are like it, it. It overcomes that problem that Chip just mentioned, where it's like he would look at it and be like, "Oh, I'm an adult. I don't want to watch bouncy, cartoony, whatever, whatever stuff. I want, you know, I want the death, uh, the high cost of living miniseries, which is bouncy and cartoony for Vertigo, which you probably didn't think at the time. I certainly didn't, but looking back at it now, it's like, this is mm. night and day away from like a Mike Drennenberg Sandman <laughs> issue. Uh, or when, it's true. It's you true. Know, so, so yeah, I thought, I think Akira would be a good first one. That and it's, it's omnipresent. It's super available now. Everywhere except for mm. digital, so uh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> uh, which will yeah. change in, in the next couple of years. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll probably change. And the action is, mm-hmm. uh, is the kind of thing that I think... Uh, you know, Chip, if you want this to be a thing where you learn uh, and it makes you a better storyteller, the storytelling in this, particularly the action scenes, is uh, is incredible. So that's my pick for first book. But David, Deb, what do you guys think? I own two and a half complete copies of Akira in different formats. So, like, I'm <laughs> in the bag. Uh, but it's interesting because I feel like at the same time, it's sort of like recommending Watchmen to a newbie comics reader and ah. that it's really good. Like it's legitimately um, mm. one of the best of the form, but it's not necessarily everyone's taste. Mm. So I'm wondering what Chip is going to like about it, um, what he'll latch on to. Because like the drawings are really good. The stories, there's so many different angles to appreciate it from, mm. but also possibly angles that are uh, more off ramps than on ramps. Mm. Yeah. The art's really, like, I feel like Akira is is appealing, to, is a multi multinational appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, it it kind of like the art wise and story wise, it's a little bit like French, uh, Bande de Destinée, like heavy metal. Mm-hmm. It's beautifully architecturally drawn. It's impeccable. It's like from a pure art point of view, as someone who draws comics, you can look and be like, holy shit, this guy can draw. <laughs> yeah. you know, and the, the way it's it's super dynamic and it's. The, the way the story unfolds is you. I don't. I don't feel like anything is telegraphed ahead of time. Mm. Like every every bit of it. Like you're reading. And like 
what's going to happen next? I don't get it. You know, like, and it throws you off. Like maybe it's a little bit like Game of Thrones in that it's been such a big uh, cultural touchstone that you're, you, you already know a lot of the story. Mm-hmm. But, or like there's certain touchstone scenes where you go, oh yeah, yeah, the part where he mutates and turns into this big blobby blah, blah, blah. Or he like, yeah, it's like, oh yeah, something. that part, you know, or like, <laughs> yeah. oh, there's this kid, you know. But, or yeah, he's on this motorcycle and he does this amazing drift turn, you know, like you, you know all this stuff. Yeah, I, but, I, I watched the anime in high school mm. at the behest of my, my manga friend. Um, I don't remember anything from it. Mm. I, I will I say that the anime doesn't make like, a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, well, that's another one of my questions. Like, uh, how many volumes is Akira? Well, it's uh, six. I, it's, it's, I will show you. <laughs> oh wait, Deb's got the Deb's got the All right. the good version here. Yeah. Ooh. I like the, uh, the 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 sound of her lifting it is good for <laughs> the audio of all this. It is it is a brick. Wow. It's um. Okay, I gotta turn it around. Okay, hey, don't drop uh, it. Are you gonna be okay? Yeah, I'm gonna be. All right, so I'm six looking volumes. right now. Six volumes. Six volumes. Six heavy volumes. Yeah. This is hardcover. So, what did the movie cover? I'd say it was an abbreviation of the two of, and three. Up, up on country. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then it kind of the ending is cuts. not quite what you read in the manga. Okay, so it kind of is. Okay, so I've got another question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already into the questions. So Akira, massive success in all formats. Mm. The movie adapted volume one through three. So mm. why is there not an Akira two that adapts four through six? Um, uh, the movie adapted one through three, but ended the same story that was begun in volume one if that mm. makes sense like the movie is an alternate version of the manga okay all right all it's, right. it's not a straight out of unique ending yeah, yeah and if, if this okay. helps any like um they announced an anime expo in 2019 that they're going to redo they're going to do a reboot where um he's working with sunrise to do a complete end-to-end animated version of akira that re- re- that basically tells the whole story mm. oh as an animated series, because it's it's like like that's six effing volumes. Mm-hmm, How are you yeah. going to fit that in ninety minutes? Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah. a lot of the critique of anime, the Akira anime, is that they've made a lot of edits and they got rid of some of like I think Spike was saying this, uh, Spike Trotman was saying that um, there are a lot of strong, interesting female characters in the Akira manga that basically okay. got edited out, or <laughs> their their role, or their strengths, or whatever. Just kind of got maybe the side that's off. why I didn't care much for the Akira anime because yeah. I knew subconsciously I knew. <laughs> but I love this stuff. I mean, to this. I mean, uh, when when uh, Felix had like the art for sale, I went and I immediately had to buy some. But it's like this are these are like um, the colored pages. Oh, those are the Steve, okay. so it's the, those are the Steve Olive uh, color guys. Yeah. That they that yeah. he did uh, by hand for the color separations of the Marvel Akira. Um, yeah, I regret not getting any of those. <laughs> those are so nice. Uh, <laughs> I bought two at Ape. Like, I'm so ago. jealous because he was selling them for like nothing at Ape. Yeah, I was broke, <sighs> and I think I walked into that con with like fifty bucks in my yeah. bank account and walked yeah. out with five dollars in my bank account <laughs> and had two yeah. Akira pages. I feel that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I that's I think. To address all of your issues uh, and compliments, I think that you're right. I think that there's a lot in Akira that is off-rampy as much as it's on-rampy. And the length is one of it. And it's one of the things that I think people do find intimidating. I think Chip you know, mentioned he finds intimidating about stuff. So yeah, what I want to say about it, Akira is that I think that the story does appeal, particularly these days. Um, it's a, it's, mm-hmm. And it's why I think we can just, you know, in our sort of proto-book club format... Just read the first mm-hmm. volume and see if, you know, Chip is hooked. And then if he likes it, maybe we can discuss volume two or volume three on later episodes, that sort of thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, the story specifically starts um, with the point of view of, uh, well, it's it's about lots of things, but it's about two <laughs> rival groups of punk kids, uh, teenagers, maybe people in their early 20s, in uh, Tokyo after there's been a, a nuclear attack Um and uh, which derails basically a disaster that derails the 2020 Tokyo Olympics in this book written in 1986. Uh, and these two rival gangs 
are in a motorcycle fight and then they end up um, sort of stumbling into a government operation that is much bigger than they are, uh, much bigger than their All petty right. squabbles. All right, let's not spoil too much because I do want to read it. <laughs> that is the first 20 pages. Um, okay. <laughs> of, first of all, of this bad I don't... I, I don't care for teens, yeah, so it's going to be hard for me to get into this. But I'll do my best. But they're uh, pretty saucy, it's and they're okay. pretty they're pretty unapologetically drug addicts. Yeah, <laughs> not, not all like, drug addicts are awful, but these kids are particularly awful. Yeah, I like, I like my teens clean and sober and following the rules. So I think it was like the eighties or nineties, and this was like right before big rave culture. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it kind of like nicely meshed in with this. Oh yeah, let's just take handfuls of pills and have a good time. To address, yeah, to address <laughs> some of the points you guys were talking about, I think that the nice thing about this, and I think the thing that makes it good for people who are already on board about comics, uh, because a lot of people mm. are not necessarily even on board about comics, let alone manga, is that, mm. like um, Deb, you were saying Game of Thrones or something like that, it's a thoroughly conceived world. Um, you you start reading this. Um, like Watchmen, even you start reading this, uh, and you're like, "No, this is a world that 100% exists within this book. It does not feel like they're making it up as they go along. It does. It doesn't rely on saying there's a mystery because they haven't written the end yet. This isn't lost, you know. Uh, it's or heroes or most 2000s musty TV. Um, it's really good uh, in at doing that, and I think that that's the kind of thing where it is very grounded and it does um, keep hooking you in little ways, and it's. Unlike Moore, who I actually really like the work of Alan Moore a lot. I have like a whole shelf. But I think he likes to show you how much he knows uh, with his work. He likes to be like, this is all the research I've done. And Otomo, I think uh, the author of Akira, likes to do that as well, but visually uh, rather than in the story. Yeah. That's The story is very ground level. It's all dialogue driven. There's there's no captions in the whole, or thought balloons or anything. Ah, it, is yes. it is just... Uh, it is just you're in this world, um, and he mm. shows off all the things he knows through the art, and I feel like that mm. makes. And this is not a knock on. Um, oh my God, uh, the artist of the Watchmen, who Dave Gibbons. Thank you, wow. David Gibbons. Uh, <laughs> this is not a knock on David Gibbons. He's an amazing artist who can show you what he knows as well. Uh, that mm. spinning bottle uh, in Watchmen is ridiculous. Uh, in the uh, in the, the anyway, long story short, mm. I think. The off-ramps are the same off-ramps that are in contemporary adult um, golden age of television television. Like, yeah, a lot of people stopped watching Game of Thrones after Red Wedding. There's stuff like that in here. There's, like, some not great sexual stuff. There's a lot of drug use. There's a lot of, like, very violent, abusive situations, particularly at the school. Uh, And it's, like, that's not... That is absolutely a thing that is, like, very trigger-warning-y, but I think is also perfectly in line with the kind of television for the most part that's become popular over the last decade and that's what that's why i think that maybe you know i think in the second half when you get into the like <laughs> like post-apocalypse paramilitary whatever whatever it becomes a very different story but that first mm-hmm. the, the first volume especially is so realistically grounded and will get you on board for a much longer ride you know what i mean okay. uh, that lasts that i think um at the end of the first volume you're not like yeah, I, I really want to know actually what happens next. Then yeah, Akira's mm-hmm. not for you. If you're like, no, I don't yeah. really care about any of this. Like, I think the best possible job they could have done, they did in getting you into this world. And then from there, it's up to you to to, to take the baton that they've passed you. So here's here's a general manga question for you as well, in terms of like from volume to volume. Um, are are they as big into cliffhangers as American comics? More so. It varies, and some of them are different types of cliffhangers like sometimes the cliffhanger is an emotional realization mm-hmm. and other times it's like well this sword is like an inch away from this guy's face what's going to happen yeah. and the answer is like he dodges somehow <laughs> so it's kind of <laughs> again no spoilers yeah <laughs> i gotta ask you chris you you have that you have the dark horse edition yeah, yeah. with you is it flipped it is flipped it's in the uh, north american orientation and yours i i don't oh yours is it's it's, it's Yes, it's a Japanese. It's a it's in a Japanese order. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And David, you said yeah. you have two and a half. Which which editions do you have? 
so um, I've got some of the Marvel trade paperbacks they did, oh, like okay. the two-in-one single issues. Um, I've got two of the Graffiti Designs hardcovers that collects those. Wow. I've got one of the Barnes & Noble exclusive hardcover of Volume 1. Nice. That I think just uses like the Dark Horse translation. Yeah. And then I've got the, the Kodansha box set that came out uh, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Maybe and like the translations are slightly different. Like the sound effects are completely different between two, are they? two editions. I didn't know that. Huh. They they did uh, new translations. Yeah, uh, I think Dark Horse used the French sound effects translations, oh. uh, which is such like a nothing thing to notice in a comic book, but uh, it is different. Huh. Just because it's changed hands so many times over the years uh, with different publishers and things like that. Oh yeah, editions yeah. Glenot is listed as the sound effects lettering. Uh, alongside the North American dude, David. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Edition Glenat. Sorry to the French people who listen to me say Editions Glenat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that, I think that's part of the fun of it is that if, like, as a comics maker, I think you'd have a different perspective on a lot of this stuff as well, especially mm-hmm. the craft aspect. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like Akira is one of those comics that's sort of like your favorite artist's favorite artist drew this back in the day. Yes, yes, mm. of course. See, I wish I could rec- recommend a, a much more ac- accessible entry to Otomo's work, which is Domo. Mm-hmm. But Domo's out of print, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, Domo is what one volume. One short volume, too, like 250 or something like that? 250 pages? Yeah, it's really short. How? how? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's so wild to me that something like that would be out of print then. Like, you know, he created, like, the most popular manga It's ever. It's largely him. Yeah. It's, Largely really? Otomo's decision. Otomo's so is, that's, is like uh, Alan Moore in lots of different ways. <laughs> oh, okay. That's All right. that now way. I get it. Yeah. But uh, apparently they just announced in Japan that he's going back, and they announced this at Anime Expo, that he's going back in and re-editing, or they're going to re- re- release his entire output. Mm. Okay. Uh, and there's a lot of books that he did short stories and other series that aren't available in English ever. Or at least not legally, um, that are going to be released. So Domo will come back. But if you're lucky and you find it, like the Dark Horse edition, it's very good. But it has all the great art of, of Akira. It's a much shorter story. It's about um, a housing project. And then there's a girl who moves in and she's psychic. But, um, she, but there's another person in the housing project who is also psychic and is... Um, Raising havoc, like doing things to make uh, mischief and uh, leads to murder, and it, there's all kinds of mysterious things happening. So it ends so up is being it like, horror. Yeah, kind of, but it's kind of okay. cool. Like it ends X-Men up being like horror? this this battle between this uh, young girl and this old man. Who okay, both... it's really good. It's interesting. It could be an X Men story, to be honest. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it was actually ripped off for a movie that was it Chronicle, maybe. Oh, that's it. Um, I'd surprised. have to look up that before I make any scandalous, libelous <laughs> yeah. declarations. But it has, it has kind of some of the same, some of the same vibe of Akira. The art's still great. There's that yeah. architectural aspect, but then these epic, sweeping aerial scenes of these buildings and these amazing, like, these, like one of the signatures of uh, Otomo is that moment when someone someone gives a psychic blast, and like it's like a ball, like a like a like a like a, like a force ball that just slams that person against the wall yeah. <laughs> this this psychic force that just and at least like this this dome shaped imprint in the wall oh yeah oh, shit. it's domo by the way are... we've been saying domo i think uh domo domo <laughs> whoops <laughs> you're supposed to be teaching me unbelievable <laughs> you know no one's infallible because i think a dom- domo is kind of maybe it's kind of like a play on dorm hmm. that would be interesting that makes sense Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, what do you guys think, uh, Chip? Have we sufficiently convinced you to uh, try at least the first volume of Akira? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Ooh, we're gonna have a podcast, people. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm curious to hear, to hear what you think about it because yeah, you know, I'll there's I, I no feel... obligation for you to fin- read all of it, but I'd love to see if it hooks you in. It'd just be funny, like just listening to to David recount all the various editions he's got of this, and then I come on and go, "Yeah, it wasn't for me." <laughs> you know what? You know what? Uh, Akira reminds me a little bit of in terms of like its immersiveness and the art is the Inkle. 
Oh. Have you read The Eight yeah. by Mobius? Yeah, I can see that. No, I haven't. He and Mobius were friends as well. Yeah, very similar style. We're going to have to get somebody um, to uh, do a uh, European comics version of this podcast that also has yeah. you on. Uh, <laughs> oh, you haven't read The Inkle? <laughs> but it's okay if you don't like it because when I watched Blade Runner, it was less good to me because I'd seen Akira and watched it a hundred times as a kid. Mm. Oh, there you and go. they cover uh, some of the similar ground. I was like, oh, I get it. Okay, he's a robot. Like, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know, like, why should you be saying this, but, like, uh, is it, it's called Inkel? I-N-C-A-L? Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll grab it. I'll show you. Yeah, I, uh, I think, like, because Mark Wade is in charge of the humanoid stuff, and I think he approached me to do, like, a, a sequel to Inkel or something. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's okay, because I had no idea what it was. <laughs> It's a it's a pretty good Mobius book. You, you might want to read yeah. it someday, like if you're if you're up for it. Yeah, I mean, I've I've, I've read some Mobius. Um, obviously, the Silver Surfer issue. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> this stuff is so like when we went to see the um, the Mobius exhibit in um, Germany. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was just you could see like a lot of the original pages, and there's a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of scenes in here that are, are equally iconic. Yeah, Mo- Mobius is one of those creators where I've I've looked at their art mm. a ton. Like I study the art, I just haven't really read the books. Mm. Yeah, um, this one's different because it's not by him; it's by Jodorowsky. Jodorowsky, yeah. Yeah, so the story is super spacey and interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, maybe I'll maybe I'll call Mark back and say I'll do Inkle too. <laughs> just you guys send me all the you guys send me the copies first. Uh, yeah. yeah. And technically <laughs> Inkle. Oh, oh. Um, all right. Oh, wow. sure, yeah. uh, thanks. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, okay. So we are, we are wrapping the end of a, of an hour of recording time, uh, which I think right. is like, we can edit this down about 15 minutes. It'll be really good. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. Uh, but yeah, so let's all, let's all take a moment. Let's, uh, relax and think about how we're going to acquire a copy of Akira volume one. Uh, I imagine uh, there are many local bookstores and local comic stores that uh, would be happy to deliver uh, to to Chip, but also to anyone who's listening here who wants to read along uh, with us before before the next episode to see what you think. But yeah, we're going to do volume one. Hopefully you like it. Hopefully that means we can do future volumes in future episodes. And we'll mm-hmm. get back together then. But uh, in closing, I wanted to give everyone, because we did sort of general uh, general introductions when we started, I wanted to give everyone a chance to talk a little bit about uh, where people can find you all online if they uh, if you want to be found <laughs> or if you want to talk about uh, a new project or a new piece of work um, that you've got coming out. So again, starting from my right is uh, Deb. Deb, what have, you, what have you been up to? Not a lot. I I basically have my day job stuff. So um, I just found I just I saw a commercial on Instagram with you in it uh, from mm-hmm. uh, from Viz uh, talking about the <laughs> oh my uh, gosh <laughs> the new um, fan the fangirl adaptation uh, uh. they're doing. So you're everywhere. You're like in my Instagram feed, uh, which was pretty fun, and my Facebook feed too, which is like a video of you talking about the book. Oh my god, that's so embarrassing! <laughs> oh, sorry. There. I can't. I can't even watch that video. I hate seeing myself in video. Uh, well, but it, but I will say that the fangirl manga was, is worth checking out. I enjoyed it. Chip, what have you work? What have you got coming up these days? Um, I wrapped up Sex Criminals, my series through Image, Ooh. and uh, the third and final hardcover volume, Big Hard Sex Criminals Volume Three, is coming out. I think in April. Nice. And uh, yeah, currently I'm uh, still working on Daredevil for Marvel and uh, a few other things that uh, I can't talk about. Well, you've got a series coming out through Skybound, through Image, too, as well, right? Yep. Yeah, I, I can never remember which ones are actually out and which ones I'm not supposed to talk about. <laughs> so yeah, thank you, Chris. Uh, yeah, I have a, a horror comic called Stillwater, which is Ooh. out through uh, Skybound right now. And uh, oh yeah, they announced I'm doing a, a Batman story in a Batman anthology coming up called Urban Legends, uh, which is fun. It's fun to write Batman. Cool. Is it true that those are just your first few Daredevil scripts with? Batman written in instead of Daredevil? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wasted. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Daredevil with money. Uh, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and David, what would you like to uh, to shout out? What, 
Uh, I've got this new podcast called Manga Explaining that <laughs> you're listening to right now. I heard it's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't have much going on right now. I probably will a little bit later this year. Um, Aren't you editing Fist of the North Star? Uh, no, I'm actually not editing it, but a Damn! coworker of mine is editing Fist of the North Star, which I'm really excited about. It's the We're getting the manga, uh, the original manga that the anime was based on, at least in the U.S. again, for the first time in like 20, 25 years. Oh. Um, but like complete set, hard covers. I'm really excited to not work on it and to just get to read it. I feel like that'll be oh. a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for things I do work on, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, um, Diamond is Unbreakable is one of mine. We've got uh, Hell's Paradise Chigoku Raku coming out. That's really fun. Kind of like a horror ninja action drama. Yeah, Chip, one thing you'll find as we discuss all of this manga is that everything's like a multi-genre chimera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was just thinking, I'm really looking forward to uh, us discussing manga that you've edited. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be fun. Oh my god, can you, can you imagine trying to explain JoJo's to, to Chip? Oh, it's super easy. One guy <laughs> is such a huge dick to this family for 150 years, and they all have superpowers. No, that's a story I can get behind. <laughs> and they pose really interestingly. Yeah. Great, great. I'm in. You're super Everything fashionable. You can my comic. <laughs> yeah. I like how we were just supposed to talk about what we're working on, and now we're just we're still still talking about yeah. the podcast. We can't help yeah. it. <laughs> uh, Chris, what do you have cooking? Yeah. Uh, this. Welcome to Manga Explaining. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm taking some time off, and it's uh, it's real nice. I gotta say, uh, I recommend mm-hmm. if you're feeling burnt out, take some time off before you have to. Uh, that's that's today's mm-hmm. bit of uh, manga advice, uh, but uh, I'm actually enjoying reading uh, uh, comics again uh, for the first time in a little while. I kind of got burnt out on reading comics, so this is a nice way to get back into it. Uh, as well as just you know, I have access to literally every book that is published through the Beguiling. So, uh, what are you reading now? Uh, the last one I read was the um, I can't remember the exact title because it's it's a famous title, but it's the Frog at the Bottom of the Well Doesn't Know the Ocean. And it's a Yen Press oh, series that's coming out. I just read that the other day. I really liked it. It's great. Um, it's a slice of life story uh, about a guy who's a comic creator who uh, keeps trying to come up with his next hit. And it, they keep getting worse and worse and worse until he realizes <laughs> that uh, he's just like trying to mine the same ground that he's always known. Uh, and that's the problem. Oh, God. He starts to look into his life to see other experiences and realizes, oh, oh. This is this is what I should be doing. Anyway, it's really good. Uh, I, I highly recommend it uh, to people who like manga about manga. So it sounds like a horror book for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're reading this as a break from life. <laughs> <laughs> I like it because it it's it's it isn't it kind of semi autobiographical because it's about the guy who it's by the guy who did Barakamon, right? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It is. Sorry, it took me a sec. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's 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 good. I can't wait for the second. Barakamon is kind of like uh, like Mayberry meets Steinfeld. <laughs> it's like this this um, like and Green Acres. You know, like this this city guy goes to this small island, and then he basically gets adopted by all the eccentric locals. Mm. You know what? So that that was Barakamon, and then like this this one is about a, about a guy who grew, grew up on a small island, and then he. Yep. makes man- manga about living on a small island. You know what, gang? I think this is going to be a good podcast. You'll like it. It's really good. It's, yeah. it's like a midlife crisis, but um, Bakuman. All right. Uh, <laughs> on that note, if you need something new to read that isn't Akira, uh, the, the frog at the bottom of the well doesn't know the sea, uh, on behalf of David and Deb and Chip, like to thank you all so very much for tuning into the the episode zero of manga explaining and we hope we'll see you back for episode number one thanks very much bye guys this has been manga explaining episode number zero Thanks for listening. For our next and first official episode, we'll be discussing the manga Akira, Volume 1, by Katsuhiro Otomo, published by Kodansha Comics. Want to pick up a copy? Consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com. You can also follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com. 
Thanks so much to DADS for their musical accompaniment this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.